Welcome everyone to the B2B Marketing Perspectives podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And today it's very rare we have somebody with the depth of knowledge and experience that we have from Melissa Sargent. Melissa is a four-time CMO. So it has all kinds of insights for us today, specifically around why do B2B CMOs fail so quickly? They fail at half or twice the pace of CEOs. They have the shortest tenure of anyone in the C-suite. So Melissa, before we get into the meat of the subject matter here, maybe give us a little bit more about your background and you, uh, and we'll start there. Sure, and thank you for having me on, on the podcast. I'm excited to be here. I've been in uh, tech marketing for over 25 years now, started uh, NPR, did uh, demand gen marketing communications. I spent a lot of time uh, in product marketing, the longest period of my career. Then I went into marketing leadership. And as you mentioned, I'm a, a four-time CMO and I'm currently the CMO of AlphaSense. So I do like to say that I feel as though I've done hard time in all of the key areas of marketing uh, in, this, in this long career of mine. Well, fantastic, because we're going we're gonna to tap into some of the insights that you have here. And let's just start it out. Okay, so pretty big statement, right? Why do B2B CMOs fail so quickly? What's your top line, right? When you think about this and the CMOs, or you might be a VP of marketing, running all marketing your, in your organization, but you have responsibility for heading up marketing. What's your advice to us? And why, why is that failure rate so high? So I think there's truly a multitude of things that typically happen with CMOs. I think the most important thing is alignment around the, the business goals and truly understanding marketing's role around driving pipeline and bookings and revenue for the company. If that disconnect exists or there isn't a program or operation in place to drive that, to measure it over time and demonstrating that you are adding value to the business, the job becomes, you know, um, infinitely much harder. Um, I will always, I will often preach to my team. If there's a lot of different things, people will come to me and say that they want to do in the marketing organization. There's so many great things we can do. And particularly in the beginning, I'm very, very focused on the, the pipeline and revenue engine. And it's simple. If salespeople are swimming in opportunities and pipeline and deals that are easier to close, everything else we do in marketing is much easier. Temperatures come down. You know, we have the space we need to do that but we absolutely have to focus in on that, that engine first because that's what the company wants us to do. That's what the board wants us to do. And that's how we're measured today. So tell us a little bit of difference in terms of, you know, what you're not talking about here is I'm throwing more and more MQLs over the wall, right? At sales. You know, you're talking about deep pipeline presentation, uh, you know, penetration and booking. So tell us what your, your thoughts are on the difference between those two. 
Yes, it's it's not about counting MQLs. Those days are are long behind us uh, for good for good reason. It's really actually about driving more quality into the pipeline. And I tend to come into organizations that are wanting some sort of transformation and marketing. And I first look at the pipeline and revenue engine and what's actually driving that. And at the heart of that are a bunch of things, a functioning website that enables you to, to serve content, but most importantly, the content that you're driving at the very top of the funnel has to be highly, highly relevant to your audience. I work at a company where we're very segmented from an industry perspective as well as personas. And the business problem that each of those, if you look at it and sort of map it out, is really, really complex. So for us, that means we have to be able to create a tremendous amount of highly relevant, compelling content that identifies with those pains right away so that we can pull them in at the top of the funnel and then in a really intelligent way, start nurturing them through that path and continuing to serve them up other assets and content as they're making their way through the buyer's journey. And this is long before you know they ever want to, to talk to us. And we have to have incredible, I am very much a science-led marketer, seeped in the, the, the data. Uh, I have a data scientist who's worked with me at four different companies now who really instruments all of this for us so that everybody in marketing understands the data that we're looking at, what it's influencing from a pipeline and revenue perspective, and what we need to do to get better month over month. So, you know, before we hit the record button here, you and I were talking and and I'd ask you a question on the importance of content to the overall success of the organization. One, not, not important at all. And 10, vital. And you said 25. Yes. <laughs> and you just explained a little bit why, right? It was like one of the very first things that you that you did there. But two things I wanted to, to ask you about on that is you talk about data. Right. And a lot of people have a perspective on content and its influence on the pipeline. And how do I measure that? Right. How do I actually show that marketing sourced and or influenced that pipeline? And you've got a data scientist here. So I think a lot of, of us that are listening right now would love to have your perspective in terms of how do you track that? What are the things that you're looking for? in order to get people into and nurture through that funnel, but proving that you are impacting pipeline. Yes, that content you know, truly is the, the, the lifeblood. And across all of our marketing channels, every single thing we do, we uh, are measuring from uh, a channel perspective, whether it's marketing sourced or it's attributed so that we can see the different, you know, the attributed is really, really, informational and showing you what's actually maybe driving pipeline velocity. In some cases, uh, we look at the win rates, uh, the, the win, rate, win rate differential between uh, deals that close that have, you know, like five or more marketing touches from an attribution perspective. They close like at twice the rate, those that have less than that. So we measure everything so that our teams have a very clear map 
that they can follow in terms of where do we, where's the best place to invest our dollars? And that it's the type of thing where your hands are always on the wheel. You are never, you know, you never stop fine tuning this. But by having both views of that and really understanding what channels are driving the most for you and what segments, you can make better investment decisions. You can identify problems and dial things back in real time. And then really the, the, the most important part is this is really training your entire organization to be able to understand the data. Like everybody, I have to send out a lot of reports, all CMOs. It's like all I can do is send out uh, a report every week or t uh, twice a week. Um, but what our team does without me in the room, they all get together. The entire marketing organization gets together with my marketing leadership team. And they talk through all of the numbers that I have just sent to the executive team every Monday morning, what they mean for us, what trend they're seeing, have other people chime in so that every single person in our organization is fully, you know, steeped in that, that data and looks at it from that, that perspective. What I love is you are not sitting back and saying, I know I'm doing a good job. I know content and the marketing efforts are, are influencing pipeline, but you're using data to prove it. And you're reviewing that data. Your team's reviewing that data. The rest of the C-suite is reviewing that. It's important. So your organization knows exactly how marketing is contributing to the success of the pipeline and closings. Is that correct? A hundred percent. And I can think of, you know, earlier in my career going into QBR season and just like having a stomach ache because I had blind spots. I don't have any blind spots. So we go into, you know, we just went through our QBRs for, uh, for Q2 and we have, you know, the depth of information that we have and that we can, it enables us to sit down with our sales counterparts on the sales leadership team. And instead of having arguments over the numbers, we have a shared understanding of the information that we're looking at. And those QBRs become less of a, you know, they're not a wrestling match like I used to have to deal with. They actually become strategy sessions. Like that was great. Yep. Here's the area. Yep. You know, we highlight that it's not all good. It doesn't all, it's not all green and rainbows and ponies and group hugs, but it's a much more strategic engagement with this, the sales organization. And when you talk about CMOs that might be struggling in their roles, that relationship that you have with uh, your business partner as the CRO, um, as important as all of their first line managers, the senior leadership team, everyone has to be interlocked across the board and have a shared understanding of goals and how we're looking at things. Uh, and they want to make sure that we want to make sure that they are being heard. They have great ideas uh, for things that we can do to improve and expand, or maybe something that was important last quarter that they thought was really important. They're seeing different signals in the market now that tell them that's not as important right now. Can we actually do this? And we have the flexibility in terms of our integrated marketing planning and our, and our framework to do that. But again, that's another key, you know, uh, 
important part of your job there is to have that strong interlock with sales. And we all talk about it, uh, but it's a very hard thing to do and it takes time. And I think if you start with a shared understanding of the goals and the data, again, temperatures come down and sort of rational um, teaming comes into play. Well, something you said a few minutes ago, I think is really, really important because um, what you said is you look at data and, and one of the examples that you gave was how many marketing touches were happening in the closed sales and the, the ones that are closing are the ones that get more marketing touches. And all the studies these days show that the majority of B2B buyers, they have, before they ever want to talk to anybody, they're 70% through their research and their decision-making process. What that means is that marketing is taking on a much greater portion of sales, right? And, the, and, and that 70% that of their research is part of the sales cycle. And what you're proving on the back end is that those marketing attributions are actually accelerating sales. And I imagine that reciprocal relationship that you're talking about with marketing and sales and sales enablement, if sales see that there's a lot more success with marketing touches, A, they're going to look a lot closer at your content. They're going to be a lot more open to working with you and, and wanting to say, here's the kind of content that we need. So, because right now, most of sales in the B2B world, they don't think that the content coming from marketing is any good. I think and that was solved a that problem. Point. Yeah, I think that was a key turning point for us because when we first started producing greater volume, they weren't activating the content. We were the sole, you know, we were carrying it out in social and pushing it out, you know, and, and email campaigns and, and our digital advertising. The turning point was when they started grabbing the content and we see them using it on social uh, we helped them rework all of their outreach sequences uh, by persona, by industry to plug in the exact right asset at the right time with their outreach um, segments. So when they really grabbed a hold of it was a huge turning point for us. And we really saw a big difference in terms of the attributed contribution and, and how that number really went up pretty quickly. And I love seeing those numbers, you know, explaining marketing attribution can be challenging uh, mm -hmm. internally. And, uh, and the way I talk about it is not in terms of taking credit. Nobody wins that battle. Don't do it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to go well. Um, it's about one marketing, understanding the true value of the programs and the content that we're creating and the lift that it is providing for the organization so that we can make the best investments that drive the most pipeline uh, and revenue. And it's also for us to, to be able to see throughout the buyer's journey, the role that that lift has because we know it's not, you know, somebody just, in, unless you're selling, you know, even if you're selling, in a direct-to-consumer motion, people are still going to have multiple touch points there. We know that that's not how it works. And so by showing them 
Well, actually in our QBRs, we pick out a couple deals um, where there's a good balance of sales and marketing touch points. And we actually draw a picture of the specific deal. And then we sh show from the first engagement, however they came in, whether it was from an outbound SDR who made the first contact or it was the inbound team that uh, brought that lead in and the different touch points, all the different places they went, how many times they went to the website, how many times they went back to Google and searched down again, where they went on LinkedIn, what customer success stories they read. Then they started their trial with us and that you see that it's basically fairly balanced across both of them because even when they've scheduled that trial with our, our sales crew, they're still doing all this other research in the background. And when we show that picture to them to see like, this is what we mean by the buyer's journey. And that it, there's, there is no handoff. It is right. this continuum. Uh, it's really compelling. I love that showing a picture of how it actually comes to fruition. So one of the things you said earlier as well was that you have a number of different ICPs, a number of different industries, and that the need for content in that buyer's journey never ends, right? So that can be overwhelming, right? Let's say you've got seven industries and each and eight different ICPs, and you, you put the grid together, right? Yes. Of all the problems you're addressing and you're trying to educate these people as well in the industry and be thought leaders. And so tell me a little bit about how you think about that content engine, right? Because that can, that can be paralyzing in terms of, you know, what needs to be done there. What's your philosophy yes. on that? Yeah, it can be incredibly overwhelming for your content team. And most of us don't have the luxury of hiring an army. It's usually a small, mighty group that's doing a, a lot of work. So the way we have approached it is through what we call key macro themes. And so these are themes that resonate across all of the different um, personas and industries. And then we take that macro theme, we, we write um, uh, uh, basically a positioning document around it to start every uh, quarter, or sometimes they can even run for two quarters, depending on what that macro theme is. And there can be multiple macro themes. There can be two or three, depending on what we have going on in the business at that time. And then figuring out and mapping out when you have sort of that baseline, then customizing it and personalizing it to that macro theme. So that some of the work, it's it's not you know a hundred percent that you have to mm -hmm. um, do every single uh, time, and it also puts us in a place where we found it with macro themes that we get a better lift, a better brand lift across the board when across all of these different segments and all these these different personas you're linking up to this, this macro theme, it really does elevate that, that brand message and gives us, uh, does, you know, better work for us. And you know, because it's real easy in a, certainly in a company like ours with that level of complexity to do a thousand random acts of marketing and a lot of work that goes into it, but nothing breaks through. And so we found that that's been a really good technique for us.
Well, let me ask you too at the at the front. So, um, with a macro theme, right, that's very carefully selected, that has a lot of opportunity for education and insight and impact, then at the beginning of the buyer's journey, whether you're talking about ad click through rates or email open and and click through rates, if you can improve even one percent your click through rates, because Huge huge right and i'm sure that's a part of what the the you know that marketing attribution and the and the data and everything because the the thousand random acts of marketing you're going to get you're going to get industry average or below engagement and and clicks and right and and that's the beginning of the buyer's journey that's that's um you know what we have to do so i love the the thought process of focus on content working with sales and having macro themes that can apply and easily um, position for an ICP in a specific industry. So you're not starting from square one because then this takes this very large, overwhelming task that has to always be done with a small team. So let me ask you one thing. You have recently um, and not like last week or anything, but recently started up a podcast strategy. Tell us a little bit why you started that podcast strategy and what you think the benefit is that's coming out of it. So uh, I, like a lot of people, I'm a big consumer of podcasts. So when I came to AlphaSense, and since we're a market intelligence company, I was like, this is a no brainer. Like, you know, <laughs> This is what we do for uh, a living. We absolutely have to have a a podcast. And ours, we're very fortunate in that I have um, a director of research who came off of Wall Street. Mm. Um, so his perspective is truly u- unique in that he's not talking about AlphaSense at all. They're just talking about issues that are um, that are very topical um, in different specific industries um, in investment banks, hedge funds, you know, across the spectrum. He has that agility and his knowledge bank to be able to hold a, a very credible conversation with the kind of people that you see on CNBC in the morning. And so the credibility of the content that is coming out um, of the podcast has just been phenomenal for us. And then our sales team loves the, the, the podcast that, you know, that there's a really cool ish, um, episode and that we do great activation of it on social. And then it's an easy share for them. And then it's something that they can share as they're nurturing their contacts without being salesy at all. It's just, here's some interesting insights that, um, uh, you know, Nick Mazing, who's our director of research, was talking to an analyst about thought was relevant to your industry. Here you go. So it's been, uh, it was one of, I had it on our our list right away that this is the place to, if, if there was ever a place to do one, that this is the place to do it. And the fact that I had the perfect human being to be the the host, you know, was was too good to be true. 
Well, you know, it's um, it's interesting because when you talk about how sales loves it, right? Salespeople, they have to be perceived not today as a salesperson, but as an advisor, as an expert, as somebody that understands the industry beyond the product and service that you're representing, right? That's what buyers want. And so what I'm hearing from you is that this is helping position the company. This is helping position um, each and every salesperson. It's giving them a reason beyond, hey, I wanted to talk about, we talked about the free trial, right? You know, it gives them a reason to stay in touch in a yes. high value way. Yes. And that's, that's huge. And and, and then another entry point into our brand and what a great yep. way for people yep. to meet AlphaSense and that, you know, if you're a market intelligence company, intelligence and an AI company, and now a gen AI company, uh, uh, intelligence is, is part of our DNA. Yep. And so, and the people that we are selling to, you know, often is uh, the market intelligence person, or it's a financial analyst. These are very, very savvy, discerning people. We have to be able to engage them with content that's truly compelling to them. Well, we're reaching the end here. And what I'd love to do is ask you just as a recap, everything that we've talked about here, if there was one takeaway that you wanted the audience to know, what would you tell them? Interlock from day one with your executive leadership team on the pipeline and revenue needs for the business and really focus your time in the beginning and understanding how that works for your company, what gaps you have, what quick opportunities that you have to make an impact in marketing and then continuously improve from that point. But that is the place I believe uh, to start and to start, have a fast start and a strong start. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you, Melissa, so much for coming on. Um, if people wanted to get a hold of you, um, a link to your profile on LinkedIn, would that be appropriate? Yes, LinkedIn, come, uh, Melissa Sargent. I'm happy to connect with anyone. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on today. We really appreciate your, your help and your insights here. Thank you, Steve. Have a good one.